Welcome back, ladies. Um, Jeanette, can I get the back door for me? Thank you. We'll go ahead and get started here. A um, couple quick, quick things. Uh, we want to uh, encourage you to get involved with our Halloween outreach this year. As I shared on Sunday, we were kind of on our ebb and our flow of years, and this is our off-campus year where you're at home and handing out candy, or you can join us over here. We're going to have a booth over there facing the street. This is a great neighborhood for trick-or-treating. Yes. And so it's a, I mean, Super fun the public is coming to us, so we want to give them Jesus. So um, you can help in a lot of ways. Uh, two of them don't even involve being here on that night, um, which we donating candy or helping to decorate the booth. You can meet me after tonight and talk to me and get ideas or you can check in with Ruth and we're going to coordinate that. And then if you are able to be there that night, um, we'll have shifts. There's a place where you can sign up. You can go on the church app and click that and sign up or go on the website and click and sign up and all that good stuff. And uh, we'll reach our community for Jesus. I'm excited to do that. So yay. And can I say one thing? If you want to trick or treat, if you have kids, grandkids want to trick or treat, there are a group of us from the church that are going to meet here in the church parking lot at 6 p.m. and trick or treat this neighborhood. It's a good so neighborhood. Anyone's welcome to join. Yeah, join it's up. super fun. It feels like like the old Mayberry, like olden days yes, neighborhood. Olden days. Very, like, <laughs> it's very family friendly in this neighborhood. Yes. Oh, don't yes. come to our neighborhood. It's scary. I'm a little scary this year too. So, um, all righty. Well, let's go ahead and pray again as we just kind of shift gears from our group time and get ready for our teaching. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you once again for our time together and just the life on this campus and our desire everywhere across this campus to lift your name and and to be together in unity uh, through your holy spirit bless our teaching time right now our listening and um, just everyone um, that we'd be able to gain what we need to and just let go of anything that isn't from your holy spirit um, bless our time again in jesus name and everyone said hallelujah amen um, there's a place for you to take notes on the very back side in your uh, packet there. Uh, you just had your grace group time. If you turn the page back on page 91, you can see a spot to take notes. And as you heard tonight in your group, one of the first questions we ask when we come back in two weeks is, what, what is hanging with you from our previous passage? And so if you take notes and jot things down, then you'll have something to share. If you don't take notes, you can just ask Ruth. She takes really good notes. Or Jeanette, she, she takes really good notes too. So, um, And then tonight, we're going to be reviewing, like you just did in your groups. We'll be going over chapters 4 through 7, and I'll be walking through some points on that with you and, and sharing. But one of the things before we begin that I've come to appreciate is the power of God through the Holy Spirit in my life and seeing it in your life as well. I... I am so grateful for you guys. I'm hearing 
your discussion. I meet with your leaders. Um, just the power of the Holy Spirit I see working in your lives. It was evident this last Sunday or two Sundays ago for our dedication Sunday. God's doing a work here, and it's exciting to see. Um, I've known several of you for many years now, and I'm witnessing firsthand deep spiritual growth and heading in a wonderful direction. And so I, I couldn't be prouder as a pastor, as a teacher, as a friend. And I know you feel the same because I'm hearing from you as well, just how exciting it is to be able to be shoulder to shoulder, pointing ourselves to the Lord through his word. So I want to thank you for that. It's encouraging and it's just a, a wonderful place to be here together. But I know the Lord is working. I know he's working in my mind and in my heart. Um, as you receive the word, um, whether it's in fellowship or it's in your own personal time of study or just simply just reading God's word, um, whether it's you engaging on paper, but you're dwelling in the word, you're letting the word dwell in you as well. Um, but as I come to teach this time, I know you've had your time in the word. And so I'm, I'm aware of that. And I sense that that presence of all of us having been in the word together. And it's exciting for me. Um, you know, I'm learning um, and I'm bringing what God has placed on my heart to bring and I'm learning to, fil to filter that and to trust the Holy Spirit in that process. Every week when I hear from you and your prayer requests, the things that you're going through in your personal life, your struggles, the things that are making you have anxiety, sadness, um, fear for other friends and family members that you love, the things that are heavy on your heart and how you're going through a lot of challenging times, just even in our society, the challenges that are going on, whatever that noise is out there. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> Malls of Jericho as they come down around us. So there's times then when I prepare the study, um, I have you present in my heart and in my mind. And I think about the word that God has given us. And maybe I should kind of move in on some of those issues. We have a small church and I can teach directly to that. But as I pray, what I come to over and over again is the Holy Spirit saying, no, just teach the word. Just teach the word. <laughs> we just covered chapters four through seven. Just lay it out and let the Holy Spirit do the work. So um, I'll teach you the word. I'll trust the Holy Spirit. Um, you have something that God is working on in your own heart and your mind. I don't know that. That's that's you and the, and the Holy Spirit. So I, I, I like to try to picture myself as just stepping away and serving the word like a platter uh, to you tonight and to deliver the message and be faithful to what we've all been committed to, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So let's go ahead. Let's get into that word and turn our hearts to the Lord and uh, to the Holy Spirit. I need your prayers. And uh, I've been praying for you as well. And let's go ahead and get into the word with some review. Uh, so from our previous lesson, we uh, covered this essential truth and our list of truths really about our identity. And in a world that's really consumed with identity, this is all that matters. This is what matters, right? This is who we are. And this is what we as believers, people who've accepted Christ, this is what we live in light of. No other message, no other identity from our past or anything the world would want to say matters. This is what matters. What Christ has accomplished for us and what we have received is sealed and it's certain. And it's from here, from this truth that Paul moves forward. So as we begin, I'd like to go ahead and say this together, just like we did last time. Would you say it with me? Here we go. Who am I? I am a sanctified saint who's been given grace and made rich in every way. I lack no spiritual gift as I wait Jesus' return, knowing I am strengthened to the end and will be blameless. 
I am part of a unique community where I have been called into fellowship because of the true account of Jesus Christ, and I belong to him. That is who I am. Amen. Living in light of that truth is the most important thing. And if you go through this entire Bible study from here through April, and that's what you take away, that is sufficient. <laughs> that is powerful to continue to walk in that truth and how blessed we are that Paul began Corinthians on our, for our benefit in that. Uh, as we continue now, we move into chapter four. And Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So a couple things on this. First of all, this word regard is the word logizomai, and it's an accounting term. How many of you do accounting, right? My Excel spreadsheets and things like that that trigger me. Um, so <laughs> this might have triggered some people back then too, uh, because it's an accounting term. It, it's about balancing the books. And that would have brought that image into their mind by him using this type of word. And in light of Corinthians and their issue of elevating other teachers, other pastors and dividing over the men that they were all following when they should have been following and focusing on Christ, Paul says, regard or assess and rank the pastors in terms of popularity. No, don't do that. All right. Don't don't think of them in terms of their outward success. Um, God has a balance sheet. And I want you to regard us on God's balance sheet here. The accounting that God has. And so he characterizes two true messengers of Christ. And he says that they're servants. And that's who he is. And a steward. Servants and stewards. So like us, he's all the things that we just said we were when we recited those just a minute ago. And Paul says, in light of all of that, I am what I am. Regard me as a servant, and the Greek word there for servant is huperetes. That's a good word to say. Can you say that? Huperetes. You go and press your friends or win a round of Jeopardy on that later. So the word huperetes would have another immediate word picture into their mind, and that would have been of an under rower. How many of you have seen this movie before? Yeah, it's Ben Hur, and uh, they're in that ship, and it's a galley warship uh, called a trieme, and he uh, have those three levels there, and these are the under rowers. These are the cooperatases. <laughs> sure, that's accurate Greek. So this is the type of ship that would have been they would have been familiar with because think of the geography of Corinth. It's this isthmus right there, and they they had that or they were trying to get that canal at that time. And so they would have been familiar with these types of ships with or without having seen the movie um, and her. Right? So Corinth was a really active seaport. Um, and so we would see these war galley ships docking there. So he says, we're hooperates immediately. This is what it pictures. These sweaty, conscripted men working to the sound of a drum beating off the time that they had to keep as they rode. He says, let us be regarded as galley slaves as galley slaves and a steward or a house servant, he says, of the mysteries of God. Mysteries is, is the gospel. And every time we hear it in the New Testament, almost every single time it refers to the gospel because this was concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So we, we kind of come to understand and learn about that. But I want you to think for a minute then, if he's describing himself like this, what would that actually look like? What would that actually mean? Well, an under rower had to keep the beat to the captain's drum, like the, this, the, the pace the captain was setting. He had to keep it and you can imagine him rowing and rowing like this on that drum. If you haven't seen 
Ben-Hur, that's a movie to go watch, right? And you can get the picture of that. They had to row then together. And they had their benchmates right now. So look to your right and your left. There's grab your grab your oar. There's your benchmate. You know, you're stuck with them because you're chained to the bench. So look to her. Like, oh well, you're stuck with me, I'm stuck with you. It is what it is. We're sitting there and we're rowing together, right? The under rower then had to trust the captain because the people to the right and the left had no, no business knowing what they were going either. They're all just obeying the captain. They're staying to the beat of the captain's um, chant as it was chanted down to them. And then they were also committed for life. The under rowers, the Hooperages were committed for life. I know that face, right? That was the same face I had. They were stuck to that bench and they get out and uh, maybe go to the mall and go shopping real quick and then come right back in after each port. But they, um, they also had received no honor. It wasn't about them at all. They don't even know where they're going. They're just listening for the captain and the sound of that drumbeat as they move. That's what Paul says he is. I'm a hooper, I'm an under rower, right? He says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you because he, he this implies he was being judged by them, right? And um, or, or by any human in any court for that matter. In fact, I don't even judge myself, he says. For I'm not aware of anything against myself but I'm not thereby acquitted. In other words, he's saying, look, you can judge me all you want. The world court can judge me all they want. I could even try to judge myself. I, I'm not qualified to judge. What does Jeremiah say about our own hearts? They're deceitfully wicked. Who can even understand them? And so Paul says, look, I'm just the under rower. I'm just delivering as a good steward the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this isn't about me right? He's, he's modeling for them. And you're going to see this over and over again as he continues on. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. He's the one that will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And Paul's about ready to disclose some stuff. As we know, he's going to get to that in just a minute. But it's the Lord ultimately who's going to do that. I'm just the under rower. Uh, I'm just the steward here. Each one is going to receive his commendation or lack thereof from the Lord. And he says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? For... Uh, um, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have you didn't receive? In other words, if you got it, and he goes back to this uh, who am I verse that we talked about before, all those things, you received all of that. If then, um, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? In other words, why are you boasting as if you just came up with it all on your own? You're nothing. You're an under rower like me, or you should be acting like that. And this word puffed up is going to come up again and again. So kind of key in on that word because uh, Paul's going to move in on that for the next few chapters. And he's going to say it again in 2 Corinthians. But this is an air bellows. You've seen those with the poof like this with the fire, right? That's this puffed up, right? And he's like, that's how you are. And you're, you're puffing up. You're just full of air is what he's saying. It means nothing what you're talking about and how you act like you're so wise. And he moves in on that too. Already you have all you want. And again, it goes back to who am I? All those things that we are in Christ. You have all of that. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. In other words, he's saying, this is sarcasm. He's saying, you have everything you want, but you're acting like you're reigning over everybody else. Like you're all that in a bag of chips. If they had chips back then, I don't know. Uh, but I don't think they did. And what would, you, what would that you did reign? 
so that we might share in the rule with you. Again, sarcasm. Like, as if you really could reign, or we would just share in the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles last of all. So now he moves into what a hupere taste really looks like. You're acting like you're way up here, and you're trying to enjoy the benefits of this world, acting like you reign, but this is what God has exhibited us as, as apostles, men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world and to angels, to men. In other words, everything you could possibly imagine, we're on display for all of them and it doesn't look good. We are poor. And he moves in on that thought. He says, we're fools for Christ's sake, but you're so wise in Christ, right? Again, sarcasm. We're weak, but you're so strong. You're held in honor. We're in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger, we thirst, we're poorly dressed. I don't know how he throws that wardrobe thing in there. Our ladies, I think we all you know, relate to that a bit. We're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, we're homeless. He said we labor, we're working with our own hands. We're reviled, when we reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. It says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says, I urge you then be imitators of me. And pause right there. Okay. I want you to think about how he's just described himself. He's a hooperetes. Look at your neighbor. <laughs> like your neighbor is. A hooperetes. And he says, I want to urge you, therefore, to be imitators of me. Now, based on everything he's just described himself, is Paul going to be winning salesman of the year? <laughs> Think about everything he's just said about himself. He's never going to be the pastor of a mega prosperity rich name it and climate church. And then he has the nerve to say, imitate me? Uh, poor? What has he said he is? Fool, for Christ's sake. Weak. Disrepute, hungering, thirsting, poorly dressed, poorly dressed. <laughs> right? The worst. <laughs> Buffeted, homeless, laboring, working with your hands. You think of like Gone with the Wind and she wears the gloves, oh, you know, Maybe another movie to watch. Um, reviled, persecuted, slandered, scum of the world, refuse of all things. Sign me up twice, Paul. And then he says, be imitators of me. And then you would think he would say, I'm coming. But what does he say? I send Timothy. Be imitators of me, and I'm going to send you Timothy. Mm -hmm. You think that seems odd? If you're going to imitate him, shouldn't he be there? Mm -hmm. But he's going to send Timothy. Why? Timothy was his son in the Lord. He was like a father to Timothy. Timothy was the one who agreed to be circumcised. Whoa. You know, that's commitment as an adult to do that or a young man to do that. So I'm sending you Timothy. In other words, Timothy is a carbon copy. He's me. Like he gets it. If I send him, it's as if I'm sending me, right? That's, that's how confident, how powerful Paul is in the truth of the gospel and how transformative, because it did that for Timothy. And he knows it will do that for the Corinthians if they'll get this next issue taken care of. And he's going to move in on that. He said, I've sent you, Timothy, my beloved, faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. He says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. <laughs> Don't think I'm not going to get show up. Then get ready. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out 
not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Again, sarcasm, as if they had any. For the kingdom of God doesn't consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So what does Paul mean here when he's talking about the power? Well, he's contrasting talk with power. He's been contrasting those things since the very beginning of 1 Corinthians. He's contrasting the outwardly wise the, the way that they sound in their speech, those in the Corinthian church who are acting like they know everything and they're trying to impress everybody out there. Basically, everything he said, like the bad wardrobe, they were doing the opposite of that, trying to have everything um, great for themselves. So um, Paul has used this word power throughout. He's talked about it since the very first chapter. And verse 18, he said, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the what? The power of God. You're acting like the people who are perishing. Because you're just full of talk. You're not embracing the power. You're not getting it. But we, uh, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. And again, this is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And in, in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, My speech message were not possible in words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul says, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And he makes this point in verse 20. He says, for the kingdom of God doesn't consist in talk. And that's all you are. You're not experiencing that power. Have you ever had that moment in your life when you realized that your faith was all about the, the talk that you've heard, the terms that you knew, and the stuff from your childhood or your teenage years or your early life? And you're, you're, you're lacking that power. And you get on your knees before the Lord and you confess that. You say, Lord, I... I'm missing it. This has all been talked with me, and I don't have that power. And that is available to us. And we need to live in that truth and that reality that it is. So here's the th thing. You can hear the pain in Paul's voice. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to come with the rod. He's saying, what do you wish? Are you going to force me to do this? Right? I don't want to. I want to come to you in love and a spirit of gentleness, but there's something more important than my own desires. And I'm willing to do the hard thing, he says. I'm willing to do the hard thing. It matters that much. And I think that's the most important thing for us to remember as well, because love that doesn't correct isn't love. It's not. Right? Those of you who've raised a child or children, don't wait to teach your child about the dangers of traffic until your child is in the middle of an intersection. You, in love, teach them well before that. And that's not you being harsh or mean or restrictive. That's you being a good parent. And Paul, as referred to himself as a father, is doing the same. So he says this, and he's so shocked at what he's saying. He's like, it's actually reported. There's sexual immorality among you. And a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans. And we have talked about this over and over again, how First Corinthians could really be called First Californians, right? Uh, and, and so to say that there's sexual immorality among you would be like, well, we're out in California. There's sexual immorality everywhere. You literally will not be able to walk to your car and out the driveway of this church without feeling the influence of this the sexual perversion of our state, right? It's just everywhere. And it's the same thing was happening in Corinth. He says, but this is really bad. This is not even what the pagans would tolerate. Now you think right now what's being tolerated in California, what this state is putting up with, what our country is putting up, and you have Paul come and say, you're doing stuff that even the pagans wouldn't tolerate? That's how disgusting it is. That's how bad it was, right? For a man has his father's wife, and, and you're arrogant? 
They're like, it doesn't matter to us. We got this. It's not that big of a deal. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed. Removed is arte exmiso. It means removed out of your midst. Removed, and there's that X out like an exit sign or exodus or the, our, our calling and our church name. We're being called out. And you need to get him out. Remove him from your midst. This is the word we use today, excommunicated, right? We get him out. Kick him out. Right. And then he, he talks about he moves in like why this will work and what his hope is for this. Listen, so important for though absent in body. I'm present in spirit. And if, as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Wow. That's serious. Those are big words. Satan, destruction. They're not messing around. He doesn't just say, kick him out, let him wander on the streets, and he'll learn his lesson eventually. Like a little kid who says, I'm running away from home. You're like, okay. You know, let him help back his bags. The kid usually learns their lesson and then end up coming back. He's very proactive here. Deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Why? So his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul is saying, you're to deliver that man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. But, but then notice his purpose. Look what he says. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul is differentiating between flesh and spirit. And Paul did this for a very important reason. Back in chapter 3, he was talking about lives that were characterized by the flesh. And he was talking about them. Like, you're acting like you're people of, of the flesh, and you're not. You have the spirit of Christ now, Right? And he knows also that if you're sending someone out of the church, this is sending them out into the world, that's Satan's domain. Satan has rule over there, just like he did over Job. And God allowed Job to be tormented in his flesh. But Satan had no control over his spirit at all. So the hope is this guy would get out in the world and go, oh, yeah, this is really bad. If he truly has the spirit of God in him, he'll see that. Why? Because he says he's going to be saved in the day of the Lord. So the point here is, get him out, and he explains exactly what's going to happen if you don't. Your boasting's not good. Don't you know a little leaven? Leaven's the whole lump, right? Cleanse out that old leaven. That you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. So this whole imagery here would have been bringing them back to a sight and a smell they would have all been familiar with. And maybe you became familiar with it at the beginning of the pandemic when we uh, had a shortage of toilet paper and flour and yeast. Do you remember that? Did anyone like me couldn't find yeast, couldn't bake anymore? So what'd you do? You learn how to make sourdough bread. It got really popular at the beginning of the pandemic. I didn't have yeast, so I got online. I'm like, well, how do I make the, you know, how do I make bread? How do I make any of this kind of stuff? People were sharing all their recipes. And what happens is you uh, let the dough sour. It creates its own yeast. And then when you go to make your bread, you pull off a little ball of that and you set it aside. You make your bread with the rest. And then later when you want to make some more, you take that ball of yeasted dough off to the side and bring it back in. And it will leaven the rest of the dough. And it keeps on going. And maybe you... Maybe some of you are even have your parents or grandparents who passed down a mother, it's called, mm. where it's passed down from generation to generation. But that's what he's saying. You know, he's going to infect everything because that's the nature of yeast. That's the nature of leavening. And that's the nature of sin. All right. It's not going to live in you and be, you're not going to be unaffected. 
by this. He says, look, Christ is our ultimate example. He's our Passover lamb. It was a perfect, spotless lamb, and he was sacrificed. So then let us to celebrate the festival, Passover, not with that old leaven, with the leaven of malice and of evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's calling them to consider Christ again, to make Christ their model of what they're aiming toward. And he says, you know, I wrote you in that letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, and yet here you are doing it, right? Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world. In other words, <laughs> I'm not talking about go out there and, and associate with the world, because of course you wouldn't do that. Right? They're, not, they're out there. You're here in the church. Right? It's very different. And he says, um, or the, throw in the greedy in there, the swindlers, the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. In other words, you need to go to another planet. There's nowhere to go in the world where you're going to get away from this kind of thing. That's what's special about the church. All right? He says, you have to go all the way out there, but I'm writing you now not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother. Like, don't associate it with him her. Don't be letting that type of sin remain in your fellowship. And I think any thinking woman hearing my voice, reading God's word right now, should be thinking, does that apply to us today? Should we be kicking people out of the church if they are living in unrepentant sin? Yeah, we should. Absolutely we should. We shouldn't pick and choose which verses are comfortable to live with and which verses aren't. If we have sin in the camp, sin in the church, we as women and men, anybody hearing my voice, get them out. <laughs> Keep the church pure. Let God deal with them. Let Satan try to destroy their flesh and God will save their spirit. But get them out. Right? That's important. We need to live in that level of purity and desire to follow God's word to the end. He says, if he's guilty of sexual immorality... Or greed. So sexual immorality, a lot of us would read it, I would, and go, well, I'm pretty good on that one. I'm not that sec I mean, I'm not sexually immoral. I'm not like sleeping around. I'm not on the street corners. And then comes up with, the furthest thing is greed. I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of greedy sometimes. <laughs> He's like spanning the, the realm here. Or an idolater, reviler, a drunkard, a swindler. Don't even eat with such a one. What? Because sitting down and eating with somebody like that is saying you are of like mind with them. It's not like us going to McDonald's with somebody. You can go to McDonald's and sit down and not feel like I'm of the same mind with that person. But if it, it does mean that, don't do that. And here's where we are challenged, ladies. We live in constant fear of the loom of bad exegesis hanging over our head because we have bought into the lie of the people who say, the Bible teaches, don't judge. The Bible doesn't say that. What does Paul say? He's judging and he's telling us, but what if I have to do with judging outsiders? Who cares what they're doing out there? He says, is it uh, not those inside the church whom you what? Are to judge. Hannah, that's you judging me. <laughs> Rachel, that's you judging Kathy. Now, that's not judgment judges and look at you and we're getting all over each other. That's a whole other sin. But we need to be biblically sound here. How can we do that, ladies, if we're constantly in the fluffy little devotionals that just treat God's word like a little happy pill Xanax that make us feel good about ourselves every day? We have to be in the word of God because we have to know what the actual standard is. And then we're called to holiness. And the first thing that happens if we're doing it right is we're ripped up in our own heart. Because that's what the living and powerful word of God does. It rips me open and says, I had no place to stand. 
Whoa! Whoa am I! Unclean lips, Isaiah said, faced with that kind of holiness. But when we repent, and we collectively as women come together and expect that of each other, yes, Santa, I beg you, judge, talk to me, help me, point me, point out my blind spots. Bring me back to holiness. That's what we should be doing as women in the church. God judges those outside. You purge the evil person from among you. You can do it. Chapter 6, he says, when and he goes into this example about the suing and all that. He's one of you have grievances against each other. You don't even take care of it inside the church. You just go out. You just skip the whole procedure. You don't Matthew 18 them at all, which is what Jesus had taught. He says, you dare go to the law, to the unrighteous instead of the saints? You should be dealing with this in-house, he says. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? In other words, you, you're going you're gonna to be judging everybody someday. The reason why you can't judge each other and you're sending it outside is because you don't trust the Holy Spirit. You're not in the Word. Right? You're, it's all talk. There's no power. Where's the power come from, ladies? The Word of God. That's why we say that the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Then we'll have that power. Right? But they didn't. There was all talk. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Rhetorical question. No, you're not. Do you not know that we're to judge angels? There's more judging. How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Knock it off. Don't take it out there. And I think we've lost that as a church. We're afraid of doing it wrong. Why? We're not in the Word. <laughs> we are not in the Word. Now, I already blessed you and spoke over you at the beginning of my talk here. You girls are. We, we are good. We are God. We're walking with the Lord. This church seeks and thrives on the Word of God. We're passionate about it. Don't lose that. We need that. And we'll get there. But we, we've lost that. We've lost that. An ability that that wisdom doesn't exist inside of us because we're we're too busy thinking about how the world thinks. We need to get back into the world and trust the Holy Spirit to work in our own lives. So, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Do you not know if we're to judge angels? He says, "I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? In other words, you were bragging at the beginning about how wise you are. You can't even settle little disputes inside the church, but brother goes against." brother and that before the unbelievers to have lawsuits and all with one another is already a defeat for you, right? Why not just suffer the wrong? <laughs> Why not just be defrauded, right? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Just be defrauded. Let it go. Someone's got a beef? Let it go. Let them have it. Give them your cloak also. That's what Jesus taught, right? He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous are not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, means verbally abusive, like gaslighting someone. Swindlers will inherit, none of those will inherit the kingdom of God. And such for some of you. you that's who you were. All that whole list. You were just like that. And this list is a list of church membership in Corinth as much as it is a church membership right here in Lamarada. 
right? Our church, we were sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexual, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, injuring someone's reputation, swindlers. And really, in the Greek, he emphasizes it. I don't know how it's written in your Bible. There's a couple Bibles that really pull it out, and I love it. ESV didn't, so I added it in here. He says, but, but you were washed, and, and then it just goes on. You were sanctified. You were, but really, Paul's saying, but you were washed. And such were some of you, but you were sanctified. And such were some of you, but you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the highest name above all names, the names that even the secular courts today put people's hands on to swear on the Bible, right? And by the Spirit of our Lord, you were washed, you're clean. Your, your past is gone. You've been made white as snow. You're sanctified. It means you've already made, been made holy and you were justified. In other words, you can live in light of this truth. And he just repeats everything we opened with here. Washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, the highest name above all names, he says. You know, you say, quote unquote, all things are lawful for me. And he says, no, but not all things are helpful. And you say all things are lawful for me but I'm not going to be dominated by anything, right? You say, food is meant for the stomach, stomach for the food. I can eat whatever I want, you know, gluttony, right? This is another euphemism for basically treating my body however I want to treat it, even sexually. And then God's going to destroy all of that. That's not going to matter at, at all, right? The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He says, and God raised the Lord. So he goes right from this whole uh, talk about the body and the food and the body and the sexuality and all of this stuff. And he says, uh, sexuality, sexual immorality is not for our body. The Lord is for our body. He says, and God raised the Lord. So why go from this talk about how our bodies are supposed to be over here to now we're switching gears and talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why? Because Jesus Christ has the new body. We're going to have that, that new body. None of the other stuff matters. So don't treat it like, like it does. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And remember earlier, he talked about the all y'all temple, where yeah. we're all collectively the temple, and now we say, and you individually are the temple, and remember how strongly that would have landed on them, because the temple was ever present in their mind. They, they had the temples to the sex goddesses, right there, they could see it, it loomed large, visibly above them, and he's saying, no, you're personally a temple, you don't go to a temple, you are the temple, you don't go to find God, God is in you, he says, do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? The one he's been elevating, the one he's been talking about, the crucified Christ, and it's all he's going to preach is Christ crucified, and you're members of Christ? Shall then I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And I can just imagine as he's getting ready to write or say that, and as Emmanuelensis, the guy who's writing everything down for him, he says, shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of, and then he says, prostitute. I cannot even imagine that guy etching or scrolling or whatever he was writing down, going, I don't even want to write that. That's so anathema. That's so disgusting to even picture it, and he's delivering being crazy with his hyperbole making Christ a member of a prostitute disgusting to make the point never he says never or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her oh well that's true literally true for as it is written the two shall become one flesh but he who is joined with the Lord becomes a spirit with him right 
He's giving us this powerful image to help us realize the disgusting filth of our sin and how dare we invite Christ into that sin with us. Flee then, run like Joseph, right? When Potiphar's wife tried to corner him, flee sexual immorality, be like that. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So this should put to rest anybody who falsely says that all sin's the same. But it isn't all the same. This is the verse right here that reminds us of that truth. Sexual sin is a big deal. Why? Because it screams at the face of God and the purpose and the plan of who God designed us to be. And it rips to shreds the beautiful imagery that God tried to create to say that he would be one with the church, that we're the bride of Christ. And so sexual sin just rips that apart in the most vile and disgusting way. Don't you know the body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, we should all be weeping. Oh, I'm a temple of God. I have the Holy Spirit in me. Any sin that I have, I'm doing, I'm sinning with Christ. And make it, it grieve us in our hearts and weep and mourn for that. You're not your own. You're bought with a price, a precious price. So glorify God in your body. Peter said in chapter 1, verse 18, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was a precious blood of Christ, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Beautiful, beautiful, right? He says, he says, now considering the matters about which you wrote, well, then it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It isn't just so typical. <laughs> We're just like, okay, fine, fine, fine. I won't even touch a woman, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, you really got the point there. So we have legalism is a response to license. I'm just going to be out there screwing around or whatever I want with my body, identify however I want. I was made this way, born this way, I can live this way, or I'm going to flip it over here and I got legalism on the other side of that. <laughs> he says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, likewise the wife to her husband. He just moves right in to practical issues. How are we going to live? How are we going to move this all together? All right? He says, for the wife doesn't have authority over her own body. The husband does. The husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Man, that pokes women hard these days. All right? If you're too young to remember the sexual revolution or liberation movement and things like that, which I am. I only heard about it. <laughs> totally read it in history books. When you were a kid. Okay. <laughs> you're on time now. Um, <laughs> You know, we don't like that the husband has authority. And we really, I hear that go, wait, uh-uh. I don't like that. Well, I'm sorry. That's what the Bible says. He does. And guess what? You have authority over the husband's body. Vice versa. This is the beautiful, mystical imagery of the sexual union. This precious 
and beautiful when we are in Christ. That's what it looks like. It's precious. And it, it, we, we should we be as much revolted as we are by sin. We should be embracing with joy and beauty and awe in the sexual union and how precious it is. And how, when we're in that time with our husband, how it reflects Christ. And it should be an act of spiritual worship. And Paul speaks to that here. He says, submit to each other. In Ephesians, he talks about that later. He says, and don't deprive each other. Except perhaps for agreement for a little time. You can devote each other to prayer. Come together again. Why? Because Satan's going to tempt you. Yep. All right? You're not going to be able to handle it. You lack self-control. says, now as a concession, not at all. I say this. I wish it all were just like me. <laughs> I just, okay. It's it just a lot to deal with. I get it. He's saying it's complicated. I get it. I wish you could just be like me. But each one of you has his own charis or his own gift from God. Each of one kind and one of another. And he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's just good for you to remain single as I am. All right? Um, if you can't exercise self-control, you've got to marry. Right? You better marry than the burden of passion. Right? So he says, to the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord, because the Lord did speak to this. He says, but the wife shouldn't separate from her husband. If she does, she should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Husband should not divorce his wife. Do the rest, I say, I'm uh, not the Lord. And the reason why he makes that caveat is simply because, you know, these are biblical principles, but Jesus explicitly addressed the marriage issue. And on this particular issue, Jesus didn't. But he says later, um, I'm confident because I met with Jesus and we talked about a lot of stuff, um, even though it's not recorded in the Gospels, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with them, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever, he consents to live with her, they, you know, staying married, she should not divorce him. Again, the whole issue here is these are people, men and women, who come out of paganism. Now they know Jesus Christ, but their spouse didn't join them. And so now they're like, well, maybe I should leave. Like, maybe this isn't good. And I, 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 he said, no, 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 no. He said, don't, don't do that. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, unbelieving wife, holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they're holy because the teaching was and true in the old covenant. Uh, stay away. Paganism will infect you. Don't get together with pagans. Separate, separate, separate. It's all, they wouldn't even have the different grains next to each other. You couldn't weave a fabric with different types of, of, of um, fa fabric things that you would weave out of. I don't know the word. Linen. You can't mix linen and cotton. You, know, you have to keep things separate. It was the whole principle of the Old Testament. He gets here in the New Testament. He goes, it's not that way anymore. Why? Because Jesus has covered us. We're sanctified in Jesus. So it's not like that anymore. So don't worry about that. And he goes on to that. He says, here's the ultimate goal. The unbelieving partner separates. Let it be so. In such a case, brother or sister, if not enslaved, God's called you to peace. Don't, don't fight about it. Don't fuss over this. Be focused. But how do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband or, or husband, whether you'll save your wife? This isn't literally saying the wife is responsible for the salvation because she can't die on the cross for him. She doesn't shed her blood for him, neither he nor for her. But he's saying, your witness, your testimony, your life in them is in that effect. He says, oh, let each person just live the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. In other words, I, I'm teaching this everywhere I go. It's not specific to you, you bunch of weirdos. You know, a lot of things are, but this one is, and this is to everybody, he says. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of this call already circumcised? Don't seek to remove the marks of circumcision. And there was an ability back then to do that. They, were, they had some procedures. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. In other words, stay, you know, like you are. For neither circumcision, talking about the Jews, 
or uh, counts for anything, or uncircumcision, the Gentiles, um, but keeping the commandments of God. And verse 20, he says, each one should just remain in the condition that he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. Unless you can get free. <laughs> and uh, he, he just encourages them, just stay as you are. Here's the focus. He says, for he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman in the Lord. Likewise, he who's free, you're a bondservant. So it doesn't matter. Your station right there, it doesn't matter. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, verse 23, you were bought with a price. Don't become bondservants of men. Don't worry about men's institutions and how men want to run things. He says, so brothers, whatever condition each were called, let him remain with God. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, there's nothing specific that Jesus has taught. But I give my judgment as one who has Lord's mercy and is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound? Don't seek to be free. Are you free? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, do not sin. It's okay. And they were fussing about all this and trying to get it right. And he addresses that. Yet those who marry are going to have worldly troubles. And I would spare you this. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. It's a very interesting word, this whole appointed time word. And Hebrew is called the Moedim. It's one of the very first references to seasons. It's in Genesis. And it's not a chronology time like on your clock, but it's big, vast seasons, like the appointed time Christ died for us. He goes, it's going very short. Um, so from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they were not, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, buy as though they had no goods, deal with the world as if they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. In other words, live with eternity in mind. There's enough of this world to get us fussing and distracted. So be focused. I want you to be free from anxieties. And look how many times he uses the word anxieties here. Unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. The married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And I say this for your own benefit, not to lay a restraint on you, but to promote good order and secure your what? Undivided devotion to the Lord. This world will present you with distraction, cares, anxieties. Now, where is the station you're in? Stay put, he's saying. But you need to be focused on the Lord just as much as he was, Christ crucified. I'm writing this to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And in your, creating, um, in your uh, my heart to yours, I wrote out a little bit of my story about my mom and uh, her destruction. It reminded me as I was reviewing and preparing for this, Jesus' engagement with Martha and Mary. Maybe you remember this story from Luke mm -hmm. chapter 10. Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve me alone? Tell her to help me. <laughs> Martha, Martha, you're anxious about trouble, about many things. You see the same words that Paul's using here? Anxiety, anxious, trouble, about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion. Undivided devotion to the Lord. It's exactly what Mary was doing, which is not going to be taken away from her. And there's little seven-year-old me. Not long after, I asked for the turtle. <laughs> I don't know if it's blurry, kind of blurry. Um, we already had this little dog, and I guess we wanted a turtle on top of it. And it became kind of a family joke when uh, when 
when someone would overreact to something in our family, they would mimic me and go, oh, I want it was a turtle. And it became, it became this, family, this family joke. But the idea of it was, like I wrote in my, my note there, you know, my mom was not worried about things that don't matter. These are, these are important things. How does it provide for your family and the cares and the distractions? And Paul is saying, those are just distractions. I want your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what matters. And in that moment, my mom was able to bring me around to, to that truth. And I never, I never forgot that story. I hope you won't either. And I hope this image also will be in your mind as well. How much more devoted can you be but to be a huperetes? To row at the beat, right? To not even see where you're going, but just go. Just row, right? The call, the gospel is the call to believe, to follow Jesus, right? It's not about your circumstances. It's not about me hanging on to your past and bemoaning it, worrying about your future. It's about repenting from your sin and believing in Jesus. For those who are called, part of that call is looking in faith to, to Jesus Christ constantly and defining every single decision that we make in light of that, of that call. Maybe it's time for you today to do an audit, right? Do some accounting of your life and your priorities and, and what might be a distraction in your life and maybe examine your relationships and your job and your activities and secure your undivided devotion would be my heart's prayer for you today. And I pray that each one of you sitting on the bench, your bench mates, your fellow hooperatuses, <laughs> we would want that for each other and we would pray to that end. Let's go ahead and pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. It just pours over us. And I pray that that's what would last, that's what would remain in our heart and our mind. Um, just the images and the words that you have brought, the action points that we've been nudged to take care of, that we'd go home and take care of it and move in on that and, um, and reach out to our sisters here in this room for that support and that fellowship. And bless our time together as we head on home and we live in that undivided devotion to you. In Jesus' name, and at the sound of the bell. <laughs> Everyone said? Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> All right. Um, I, um, it, it's something over in this area. I'm guessing one of you people. You're welcome to stay. I, well, I do have some time for Q&R tonight if you have any questions. Um, or if you need to go, you can, you can go as well. Um, and what? I'm waiting for Hannah to ask the question. Okay. Here we go. What do you got, Hannah? No. <laughs> just ask it. Just ask it. Does Paul have no sex drive? You because... to be a question about sex. Oh, hello, <laughs> Michelle. Because, you know, it seems like people were like him, like it was yeah. easy for him to remain single and like have no sexual temptation in any way, shape, or form. Like, granted, like. Yeah, but like, did he just not desire okay, eunuchs? Like, James <laughs> talks about how some people are born eunuchs. Some people born eunuchs. Uh, Paul wasn't born a eunuch. Paul served on the Sanhedrin, which means he had to have been married. It was a Jewish oh. law, so he had to have been married at some point. So either his wife left him or she died. Either way, he wasn't married at the time. Um, but um, I, I think he had a sex drive. I, I think he was submitted to Christ. I think he had undivided devotion to Christ, and he got that. You know, regular male testosterone sex drive under control. So, does that answer your question? Yeah. He wasn't a eunuch, but for sure. Weird. But I had never known that he had been married before. We only get that through kind of inferring from the scripture because if he was on the Sanhedrin, then. Yeah.
And there's some, just, you know, not all scholars 100% agree, but most of them will say is based on the circumstances we read in scripture, decisions and things he was, you know, saying and doing, that he was probably on the Sanhedrin at one point, which you had to be married. To be uh, in the Sanhedrin. There was a Pharisee, it would be a sin for him to not be married. Right, they, they really didn't want you to be single, I needed to be married, but it was required if you're on Sanhedrin to be, so... And yeah. if he so if he says his he said he calls his singleness a gift, mm -hmm. and so that probably means as part of that gift, God just gave him that 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 ability to just keep it under control, yeah. and the ability to just rein in the hormones. Right. Right. That, that's what he was saying was the gift was the lack of the drive, mm -hmm. not the lack of purpose. Maybe just both. Maybe, yeah, like if it's a gift, he must, God just must have. Well, that's him. where I'm like, well, God's helped me not. Does that mean I'm doomed? Like, Paul him. That's how he wants you to feel. How old is he at this point? How old was Paul? Who asked that? Um, you had to be over 40 to be on the Sanhedrin, so he was older. I don't know how old he would have been, but he would have been older. So. Yeah, or maybe maybe it was over thirty. But he was he was older, but married to it. I'm married to a sixty-one year old. So yeah. Uh, hey, maybe it was a thorn in his side. No. <laughs> maybe you know. I thought about that. I was like, we never really find out what it was. No. Any other questions? Hooperate Um I'll just spell it phonetically. So hoop like. Hoops. Er, like, like the er is human. Hooper, a, like a. And taste, like, don't taste me, bro. I'm filming you. So I have a question. Yes, Rachel, question. Would Paul saying that he desires that you all be single like I do, and I get it all comes back to not be distracted, but then a couple, you know, chapter verse before that he quotes Genesis 2 24 so in him saying that I feel like it contradicts him saying he wishes you could all be single like me I feel like that contradicts Genesis 2 24 right um yeah because like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth and it says like so. he's like like there's the command to you know God says you know lead his father and mother be his wife and then and I get in Genesis God says be fruitful and multiply because like there's no one on the earth. And I also, you know, at that time, like, you right. know, populate the earth. Right. And then I know, too, Paul is writing with the perspective that Jesus is going to come back, like, soon. Right. Like, Jesus is going to come back soon. So I, I get that, too, but I still feel like there's, like, it, a contradiction almost there. Yeah. And so just just to kind of keep that in balance, even Christ said, you know, be woe to you. He's quoting a prophecy. We're pregnant women. You know, and not to be pregnant at that time. You know, things are going to get really bad, and you're going to regret if you're even going to have children. Uh, now, you might want to listen to your husband's sermon again. Anyway, um, no, I. So I again, this is hyperbole. This is Paul using hyperbole, really big language. He's just trying to stress the point. He gets it that there's a biblical mandate for you know, I almost said create and share. Uh, <laughs> yes, be fruitful, multiply, creation. <laughs> Uh, but he's also aware of, you know, the pressure at the time. He's in this present crisis. So I, you know, in light of that, I wish you could just be like me. And so he's not saying everyone should. 
Uh, he certainly isn't denying scripture because even Christ himself said, you know, it's again, quoting prophecy um, that, you know, you, sh you won't even wish you were pregnant. You won't want to have children. It's going to get really bad. And, and it did in 70 AD. Yeah, of course, it hasn't yeah. happened yet, but you can listen to your husband's sermon. I was saying, you should go listen to No, I already have. That's why oh, I, I knew that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does that answer or help? Give yeah. So somebody. he's not contradicting. No, he's it's not contradicting. He's hyperbole. Like, okay. That's, that's, that's how yeah, I would understand you. it. Yeah. Sorry, Jeanette, it's okay. Jeanette had a question. Yeah. She wrote one from our group. So okay. I asked the question regarding expelling someone. What about the the compassion and love and accepting someone? Um, you explained it really well, but just because it came up before you said that, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's bringing someone back in the fold when they sin. What's the balance between? I think it's the whole idea was, do we just expel everybody? Because that was kind of the concern. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, somebody keeps coming to church, but, you know, you know that they're still involved in sin. That was kind of the whole confusion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being inside the church. Right. So, again, we go to uh, Matthew 18, um, God's Christ principle of going to your brother in Christ. And if he won't listen to you, to bring another brother with them. If he won't listen to, bring the church together. I mean, it's the first time Christ mentions the church. Bring everyone together to, to talk to him about the situation. And then Paul moves in on that, you know, kick him out from the sin and the camp. But it, it presupposes you've already done Matthew 18. These guys hadn't done any of that. They right, weren't right. living like that. And so the, the think that he's somehow implying we can get everybody out would be silly because nobody, nobody would, I would remain here. Right. And he's made it very, yeah, I wouldn't make it. Yeah. Um, so he's already made it very clear that we are washed, we are sanctified, and we are justified. That isn't licensed for sin. That isn't licensed to live. And we're going to get actually into that a lot more into lesson four in the passages you guys are going to be covering in the next couple of weeks. But we have the mandate to approach people biblically, to, to love them, to speak the truth in love to people, and, and then to hold the, to a biblical standard of, of um, righteousness and what holiness looks like. It, it seems to me, again, from all the passages and other passages in Scripture, that perhaps it was here was sort of like with the women speaking out of church. Again, Paul has already talked about how they're arrogant. And so I felt like in this situation, they weren't unrepentant people. They were doing whatever, and they were just saying, eh, it doesn't matter. And they were going to bring others, again, like we were talking about the yeast, into sin. Mm -hmm. So rather than someone who is coming but struggling, mm -hmm. right, right, totally different. Okay, it's a whole different yes. matter, right? Yes. Than someone who Keep comes in there and says, "Yes, it's okay to do this." Yeah. What is, yeah. well, this? Yeah, is, yeah. yeah. You know, no. like, that. No, right. remember right. at right. at the heart. Homosexually is fine. No. You know, we can just do that. No, it's no. not. You remember know, at the heart of the right. gospel, right. the heart of the message is conversion. Right. Uh, yeah. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Right? The old has gone away. The new has come. You don't go back to the old. You get rid of the leaven. And so conversion is an important part of the gospel. It's just why the Christian church in Canada is being persecuted quite literally because it's been made illegal to have anything that smacks at all of conversion therapy. Well, that's the gospel. We are literally in that business, converting. Right? 
And so we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Canada and, and that we don't, you know, bring judges and legislators that will do the same here in America. Um, so no, we're in, it's conversion. Gospel is to make us new. We are not to have sin. We're to be repentant. How many of you can say, and you don't have to raise your hand, actually sit on them. <laughs> how many of you are dealing with a constant sin issue in your life? You're like, how am I, again, still dealing with this? I'll, you know, I've been dealing with this since I was seven or whatever. Yeah. All of us. All of us. So out you go. <laughs> out you go. We're gonna let Satan destroy you, right? No. How many of you are daily, daily going to the Lord on that? Say, God, oh man, you know, take care of this. You know? What is what did we learn in Lamentations? Mercies of God are what? They're new every morning. Why? I need them every morning. I need them. I need his mercy every morning to be new for me. I don't want it to run out. I want it to be old. I need it to be new. Why? Because my sin is ever present. Read again Romans chapter 7. What did Paul say about his own life, his own sin, his own struggle with that? Right? Every day he dealt he dealt with that. So out you go, Paul? No. No, this is this is an unrepentant spirit. Flagrant and unrepentant spirit. Yeah. Okay, now this one's a little more Okay. The whole concept of lawsuits, is there is there a time? Yeah, there's a time. Absolutely. Um, if the government comes in and tells us we can't sing in our church, absolutely. No. No. What God has said that we can do, if the government is trying to make us to not do that, no. We're, not, we're going to court on that. We're, we're, that's that. We're not messing around with that. If I've been personally injured, I'll take off my coat and give it to you. I'm not suing anybody. I won't even sue the world. And people are saying that. Well, I won't sue a brother, but if, if it's an unbeliever, how, that's even worse. No. no, the government infringing upon what God has said, I am mandated and called by God to do. That's where we draw the line. What story? The story about the people that shared. She was in the paramedic. Excuse me? Online. Nadia's sister had a daughter who. Was taken in an ambulance um, and given the, a medication she should not have been given, yeah. and the right. which she was given, and it took her life. Yeah, but not yet. Did I mean Gloria did not sue? The that's that's powerful. Yeah, it I, was. It's very powerful. It was powerful. And she right. said she went to was it the. Let me let me address it a little bit. You're going to get to this in, in the next chapter just a bit. I, I'm going to just drop this out on that one. You know, Paul, on a biblical principle from the Old Testament, says the work, workman is worth his wages, right? Don't don't muzzle the ox. You're going to get to this passage coming up. So if, if something that you've earned, something that you've deserved, there's no no biblical saying, well, he, don't demand your wages. Like, don't demand your wages. But that is part of the system that we live in to survive and to, and to be and to live in society. So we, you know, we have to have discernment. So in a situation like this, extraordinarily beautiful and gracious and everything that God enabled her to do to, to not sue or whatever ended up happening on all the details. But. Is she entitled to have help from the government or for the person that harmed her? Absolutely. Should she destroy her Christian testimony by going after them for everything? No, I would say no on that. But should we surrender our rights? You're going to get to that again in the next several chapters. Yes, absolutely we should. And you'll go before the Lord on that. Right? And maybe that's when you bring a council of good women, men in your life. You can say, here's the situation I'm in. I need prayer to know wisdom. How do I engage in the world on if I should pursue and to what extent? 
should I pursue being um, helped, right. provided for in this situation that's causing us great harm? So do we pursue in greed and invent? No, no. We are humble, um, but we also, we don't seek, certainly to willy-nilly bring each other to court. We solve, we bring each other, but we lack wisdom. We're not in the Word. We're, we're not trusting the Holy Spirit, so we're nervous about talking to each other about it. It is nerve-wracking, but it's something that God has called us to do. Yes. Another aspect that was brought out in that particular scenario was the fact that, um, you know, to correct what had happened, might have been a reason she didn't choose this but to go and do something legal not for the money but to say hey you guys need to realize yeah. that you're misappropriating this sure. medication because bring was, awareness yes it was a very Absolutely. obvious thing yeah it because it could cause harm to someone else thing. Yeah. Exactly. yeah it was like an allergic reaction it could hurt somebody else right yeah inappropriate Right. And, and again, so, biblical principle on this is God judges the heart. And so what are our motives? Right. What are we moving in on? How, how am I, what's my thought process? And again, then we have to hold that in light of and balance with the heart of men is deceitful and wicked who can understand it. That's why we bring a counsel of people around us. Like, here's the situation I'm in. I, I think I, this is the way it should go. Can you check my heart and make sure? Does this look like I'm in vengeance? Am I acting out of woundedness? You know, am I angry? Uh, we're not supposed to be doing anything out of those. We have to live in the fruits of the Spirit. We have to live in light of Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, right? That's how we live. And then, yes, when we've been wronged, biblically, you turn the other cheek. Are you welcome being wronged again, right? But when we've been wronged in that way, in this very specific scenario, it's to the world's benefit. It's to other people's benefit for her to have moved in and to say, hey, this happened. This was not okay. I don't want. We don't want other people harmed horrific incident for her and the pain and she should have been well supported by her church and and by others with wise counsel around her it sounds like she was it made a good but amazing she, she difficult actually, decision she actually went to get the paperwork and one of the women working there gave her a hug yeah very powerful she was any other questions yeah, I have a question. Okay. Something that kind of, it kind of irked me a little bit, and maybe I don't have the correct context for for this, but I had a problem with Paul telling the Corinthians, the Corinthians to imitate him. To what? To imitate oh, him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I had a little bit of a problem with that because there's a lot of people nowadays mm -hmm. who are like, you know, be like me. Mm -hmm. type of people and it's like why would he have them imitate him instead of trying to Jesus. point them to imitate Jesus to mm -hmm. be imitators of Christ yeah so he does say that be imitators of me as I am of Christ and he's going to use the imitate me you're so prepared to get ticked off a few more times <laughs> <laughs> he's just going to keep saying that <laughs> and he's only doing exactly what Christ said what did Christ say imitate me be holy as I am holy and so Paul's doing that. And so he's like, look, I'm sitting, I'm going before you as an example. Um, when Paul, you know, calls himself a hooperetes, an under rower, that's what he wants you to imitate. Live like this. He's saying, you act like you're so wise and you're such a know-it-all and you're up here, you're all full of talk, but you don't have any power, right? I'm a hooperetes, imitate me, do that. He's not elevating himself above everybody. He's not nudging Jesus off of the, wherever captains stand on a ship, you know, he's... <laughs> He's he said, imitate me because I'm I'm down here, the scum of the earth. 
is he lists off all these things that he is and imitate me is what he says after all that. He doesn't say, I'm so this, I'm so that, I'm so it. Look at my cool outfit. Like, I, I don't have a good wardrobe. Imitate me. That's what he's saying on that. Why? Because I'm humble, I'm lowly, and why? Jesus was. Right? That's exactly how Jesus was. So I'm I'm imitating him. You can you can oh, trust so me. He's saying I'm imitating Jesus. Mm -hmm. So imitate me. Yeah. You imitate me, you're imitating. And again, Jesus. key into exactly when he said imitate me is after this big long list of how lowly he is mm -hmm. and what a fool he was in With the world's his eyes. And his bad outfits. <laughs> right? <laughs> the scum of the earth. And then he says, Imitate me. Again, it would be completely okay. different if he had said how great he was and how amazing he was. Look at my cool yeah. outfit, my shiny new toga or whatever. Yeah, I needed, I needed context. <laughs> I there you go. Like when I was reading it, it's helpful because like we are to imitate Christ, but to be able to see another sinful person being able to imitate Christ shows us that we have the ability to imitate Christ as well. So maybe that too is like well, look. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So I won't name any. I won't name any names. But imagine a wealthy multimillionaire who has a private jet, pastor of a church in Texas somewhere, <laughs> without naming any names. And imagine him saying, "Imitate me." That's unrealistic. I'm gonna have a jet. I'm having a jet. If I name it and claim it, I will. Um, you may have name it and claim it. So Paul says, I'm the lowest. I'm a hooperatus. Right? That's exactly who I thought of, by the way. Yeah. I have no idea who you're talking about. When I take anything, I'm like, oh, no, really? I know it's just sort of a saying, but still it has a lot of usefulness in the context of what we're talking about because it's that whole idea of God with skin on. Because even though we say that imitate Christ, he isn't walking among the sin anymore. So it is that kind of. And that's why I do think, you know, there is value in looking at godly men who have come before. And that's why Paul says, imitate me, and who's the very next person he talks about? Timothy. Timothy. Because right. Timothy's already duplicated. Like, right. we have to be duplicatable, right? And other pastors and other, you know, churches, the Jets and the whatever, that's not duplicatable. I'll tell you this, if the gospel, of that gospel can't be preached in Kenya, if it can't be preached in Rwanda, it can't be preached. That's not imitatable. That's not worthy. And we're all to aspire to that. We should all live lives like that. Right? Scum of the earth. And on that note, fellow scum of the earth, great days. Uh, if you have any more questions, I'm happy to stay, but I, it's well past the time. I love it. Robust discussions. I love it. Scum of the earth.